Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to another Arsblog Arscast. Coming up on this show, we have got a bouée, we've got some talkshide radio, we talk about the Carling Cup, as well as Michel Platini and his comments about Arsene Wenger this week. That's all to come, so stay tuned. So, hello and welcome to another Ars Blog Arscast, another Friday. Uh, plenty to keep you going on this show, as always, or for a change, whatever your point of view might be on that one. As I said, we've got Abue coming up with his top three Premier League goals. Uh, Talk Shite Radio is on the way as well. As is a two-part interview with Philippe Auclair from France Football. In the first part, we discussed the comments made by Michel Platini uh, this week about Arsene Wenger. Uh, some of the background to that, uh, the relationship between Wenger and Platini and Platini and the Premier League, and it's all very interesting stuff as well. And in the second part, Philippe and I will be talking, well, mostly Philippe. He, he does most of the talking, I have to say, uh, about the Carling Cup game on Tuesday, in which Arsenal's kids just wiped the floor with Sheffield United. Philippe, of course, is an Arsenal fan, uh, so we'll be getting his thoughts on that as well. So, since the last Ars cast. What has happened? Well, we went away to Bolton uh, last Saturday, uh, went a goal down, and then we had a 10-minute period where we really just took Bolton apart. Uh, Adi Bayor hit the post, Song hit the post, uh, Bentner played a wonderful pass through, uh, and Abue scored his first ever Premier League goal. Uh, even though he was quite, quite offside indeed. Not that I'm complaining about that. Then some great work, a really nice move for the second goal, finished off by Nicholas Bentner. First half, of course, finished on a bit of a down note with the tackle by Kevin Davis on Gail Clichy, which, of course, he got the ball, and his defenders have, have spoken about him getting the ball, which is fair enough. He did actually get the ball, as did Emmanuel Pogatetz. Uh, against uh, Manchester United in the Carling Cup on Wednesday night, or Tuesday night as well, the same night as ours. And the condemnation surrounding that tackle couldn't have been more different than the reaction of pundits to uh, the tackle on Gail Clichy. Gail Clichy ended up with a very badly bruised shin. Now, Davis got the ball. How did Gail get a badly bruised shin? It's because Davis kept going and followed through and raised his foot to make sure that he took the man as well. And given the position that Gail Clichy's leg is in, he is very lucky uh, that it wasn't broken. Thankfully, it wasn't. And thankfully, neither was the Manchester United player's leg the other night. He was taken off on a stretcher. They thought his leg was broken. He had oxygen. There was blood. And again, it was one of those tackles that the player took the ball but kept going straight through the man. Really, really dangerous. Pogatet's got a red card. Davies, which wasn't quite as obvious. Uh, as Pogatetz, you would have to say, but the tackle was exactly the same. In my book, that was the same tackle. 
uh, it was roundly and rightly condemned in Wednesday's newspapers and by pretty much everybody. Yet when the tackle went in on Gail Clichy, you had uh, the guy on, what's his name? Annoying Scottish pundit, what's his face? Craig Burley, saying there was nothing wrong with it. You had Mark Lawrenson on Match of the Day saying essentially that uh, anybody who complains about a tackle like that is, is a big Jesse making a rather um, inappropriate implication, which nobody really pulled him up on. I mean, the match of the day presenter did sort of say it to him, sort of like, you what? And he was like, well, it's just a saying, isn't it? You know, I, I'm not really implying that anybody that doesn't like to have their leg nearly broken is gay. That's not what I'm saying. But that clearly was what he was saying. And his choice of language and his choice of words was um, decidedly inappropriate. Um, and the difference between the reaction to the tackle on, on Possibon, who was the United player, and, and Clichy couldn't have been more different. And there have now, in my memory, been four very bad tackles made on Arsenal players uh, this season so far. There was Pancel in the first game of the season on Ibue, uh, uh, an over-the-top challenge quite bad, which in fairness, Pancel afterwards um, held his hands up and said, sorry, I didn't mean to do it, which is, you know, at least he said sorry. Well, the referee actually gave a free kick against Abue, which is probably more to do with Abue than, than anything else. There was in the Blackburn game, um, Keith Andrews, I think it was, raked his studs all the way down Robin Van Persie's leg and his ankle, and he went studs up on Cesc Fabregas as well. And then we had the one uh, by Davies on Clichy. Of those four challenges, only one has received a yellow card. And to me, uh, after we've seen what happened with Eduardo, uh, I think that's bad. I think that's poor refereeing. And again, you would have to ask why there isn't some kind of retrospective punishment for players. Uh, because we accept referees are human. They don't see everything. Uh, they have to make a judgment in a split second. But when you can go back and look and see a player intentionally uh, hurt another player. You need to see the replays of the Davis tackle to see how it was that Gail Clichy ended up with a bruised shin. And let's not forget at the time a suspected broken leg. Go off to hospital for x-rays and you think the leg's broken. So there should be a way of going back and doing that. But uh, given the, the uh, opposition to even goal line technology, it seems unlikely that anything like that would happen. And of course, when the referees um, do things like they did in the Watford-Reading game, which I'm sure you've all heard about. The ref gave a goal when the ball didn't even go near the goal, didn't go over the line, and it was wide. And it, the, the linesman gave a goal. So if referees are capable of that, then I, I don't think there's much hope. But four times, and I'll keep track of these through the season, but four times we've had red card challenges made on players of ours, and from those tackles, one yellow card has been issued. So... Let's uh, make our own minds up on that. We continue to play our football at Bolton. Uh, I thought Al Mooney had a good game, made some good saves. Um, and Danielson uh, rounded up the uh, rounded up the win 3-1. There was an interesting, um, some comments on the, on the voicemail. Um, and I'm sorry because I got one this week and I meant to put it in the show, but I just don't have time to do it now. But there was one guy ringing up, uh, and I think the first time he rang up, he had a Northern Irish accent. And he was talking about Almunia and how he wasn't good enough and how nobody ever talks about how, how Almunia is going to cost us, etc., etc. <clears throat> and I didn't get around to using it because um, whatever, I other stuff. Um, and then he, he rang again, and this time it was in a Scottish accent. 
the exact same phrasing, the exact same script almost, all talking about Almunia and whether or not he's good enough and beating at his near post in the Champions League final, blah, blah, blah. It's strange. Because I would have thought Almunia is about the least of our worries at the moment. To be honest, I think he's had a very solid start to the season. I think he's made some good saves and people say he doesn't win us any points when he made saves at Bolton that kept us in the game or that kept us ahead. Uh, and to me, that's a goalkeeper that wins you points. Look at Czech. Everyone talks about Czech being the greatest goalkeeper in Europe. What did he do with a tame Berbatov shot there the other day, but spill it right in, into the path of Park, who scored for Manchester United? Van der Sar? Van der Sar better than Almunia? Not sure that he is. Not sure there's any really standout goalkeepers at the moment. I think Almunia is as good as pretty much anybody in the Premier League. If you do feel like leaving your thoughts on Manuel Almunia, uh, check out today's post on the blog. You'll find the telephone number. If you want to leave a voicemail, feel free to do so. Maybe we'll do that next week. We'll get some people's thoughts on Almunia. Good enough? Do we need to do better? Or is he is he being judged on the past? When he was, let's face it, he was a bit more suspect. But he seems to have matured into a, a good goalkeeper with great distribution, I think. Much better than Lehman. Doesn't command his area, perhaps, the same way, but moves the ball very quickly. So anyway, if you want to share your thoughts about Manuel Almunia, uh, feel free to do so. So that was that was the um, that was the, the crack since the last Irish cast, and enjoyable to win at Bolton, as it always is. And when there's a bit of outrage to be had as well, a bit of chest thumping, and we can give out about uh, other people like Kevin Davis and... And that, that's good, too. We had Kevin Nolan in the week saying uh, he told J. Lloyd Samuel to go out and kick Theo Walcott. So, obviously, J. Lloyd Samuel isn't good enough not only to play against Theo, but he can't even kick him. I have to say, I would be embarrassed if an Arsenal captain came out and said uh, he, he had sent one of his players out to kick another one. Not good. Not good. Game is a physical game. Of course it is. You've got to stay within, uh, stay within the rules. So, uh... Carlin Cup, that was the next thing, uh, but we'll be uh, dealing with that a little bit later on. But now joining me for the first part of the interview that I spoke about at the start of the show is Philippe Auclair from France Football. Philippe, welcome back to the Arscast. It's been a while. It's been, it's been a while. It's How's true. It? <laughs> um, I, I want to talk to you about Michel Platini because uh, obviously you, you've got a, a great insight into, into Platini as a player and as a person. Um the comments he made this week uh, about Arsene Wenger, they seemed mm. tremendously petty very personal, um, uh, and not becoming of the head of UEFA. Um, why exactly, or what exactly is his problem with, Ar- with Arsene Wenger? Uh, it's probably just as much uh, a problem with uh, the Premier League and English football in general as it is a problem with Arsene Wenger personally. Uh, there are no, um, I mean, there, there are no reasons I could find uh, in, in, in what they've done previously, which would explain why suddenly Platini would choose Pick Wenger as, as, as a target. Uh, they, they went through the same club uh, at one point in their lives. I mean, uh, uh, the, uh, Platini was, was a player with uh, AS uh, Nancy Lorraine, and uh, Wenger was, of course, it was his first managerial job when, when he uh, retired from, from professional football. Mm. And uh, at the time as well, uh, the general manager of the club was Aldo Platini, who is Michel's son. But by common consent, um, Wenger and, and Aldo Platini got on rather well together and have kept 
fairly friendly relationship since then. So you couldn't find maybe in a, a kind of family food a reason for, for, for quite astonishing declarations of, of Platini uh, on that occasion. So you, you have to look at rather uh, issues which go beyond the personal, but which take a personal thing because, of course, Wenger is French and Platini is French, and uh, uh, that, that, that would be the main reason why he chose him as a target. Uh, there have been uh, many problems between the French Federation and Arsene Wenger uh, over the past few years, uh, mostly caused by uh, the, the conflict between the needs of the national team and uh, what the manager wants to do with his players. And Wenger has been extremely uh, clear, polite though, uh, about the fact that he thought that, you know, for example, friendlies, as they were understood today, made absolutely no sense, uh, that the calendar of UEFA and FIFA didn't respect um, the commitments that the clubs had in their national and, and international competitions and so forth. So, of course, there, there's a point of friction there, which seems to hit a very, very sore point with Michel Platini. And, um, and he also has a problem, and a big problem, with English clubs. Um, in, in as much he doesn't like their domination, he doesn't like their financial power. Uh, he's come out very um, vocally uh, against the, the fact that they're functioning mostly on debt, which actually for anybody who knows the way Arsenal functions and the Vanguard is, is astonishing, really, uh, to pick actually the, the one club, uh, the one major club in the Premier League, which actually follows a sustainable model. And, uh, but it doesn't seem to matter for Platini. It, it just, it's a scattergun, you know. It, it's just, he's it, using grape shot. And uh, Wenger happens to be there to be shot at, so he chooses him. It, it's and, uh, Sorry, I was going to say, it's interesting for Platini to be so anti-money when he uh, went to Italy, obviously for footballing reasons as well, but... Uh, completely football reasons, of course. The Lira yeah, had nothing to do with it. Of course. Of course not. No, and, and uh, no. I mean, I know it's 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 quite quite extraordinary, and also um, UEFA is very aware of the financial um, side of the business because UEFA is a business, like FIFA is a business, like Arsenal is a business, and um, one of the things that many people uh, praise him for is the fact that um, the last edition of the European Championships uh, brought so much money in the coffers of the federation. Mm. So there you go. He knows how to make a profit as well. Uh, so he's a businessman too, and one of the one another proof of that is that you, you might remember that he had those rather revolutionary ideas about reforming the Champions League mm. and uh, actually making absolutely sure that no more than two English clubs or two Italian clubs or two Spanish clubs could make it to the group phase. And then you might remember that he changed his tune after a while, probably after he talked to the accountants who told him, "Well, wait a minute, the Champions <laughs> League is one of the biggest." Uh, if not the biggest source of income we have year after year, uh, if you take out of the uh, equation, out of the competition, the clubs which bring in the, which bring in the most money, well, you're shooting yourself in the foot. And suddenly the, the two clubs became three, and the fourth was given a chance to enter the competition <laughs> by going through a qualifying phase. So uh, <laughs> it is rather paradoxical, but there's one thing I have to tell you is that don't forget that there is an executive committee of the UEFA coming on very, very shortly, in which Platini will have to face up to the delegates of uh, all the nations, uh, and in which he will have to explain his action and, and put forward his plans for the future. And 
obviously, he's been elected to UEFA not by the major footballing nations, but mostly by the smaller countries, which were hoping he would give them, first of all, more births uh, in the, the Euros, which is going to be the case, and also greater access to European competitions, particularly to the Champions League. So he's got to be seen as being the defender of a little man, so to speak. And by attacking us in Wenger, Arsenal, and more generally the Premier League, he's doing precisely that. So you have to see it as a political move, as much as a move on the principles of football. Because if you actually go to the essence of his argument, one thing is, of course, the great uh, difference of opinion on the question of video refereeing, because Arsene is, of course, totally in favor. Platin is dead against. He wants to have two extra referees in the penalty boxes. Um, should be quite a, quite a sight when Bolton is having a corner kick, but there you go. Um, and uh, also, the, uh, apart from the video, the, the financial aspect. And, and for some reason, both in, the, in this interview, both questions were mingled together to the point of being totally uh, impossible to extricate, uh, which is very strange. The journalists who actually were present at this interview um, actually went to Platini after it had taken place to, to ask him whether he stood by what he had said or if he wanted to change anything because they realized that what they had was extremely uh, well, forceful, if not uh, insulting. And Platini was very happy uh, with what he said. And in private, I'm told, uh, has reiterated exactly the same thing. So he's very happy with himself. Wow. And um, I suppose for, for, uh, for the rest of UEFA, though, it must be uh, difficult to see the head man, somebody who represents the organization, take such a personal uh, view or such a personal attack on, on one of the game's most respected managers because we, he, he complains about money. And like you said earlier, Arsenal is a, a sustainable business. They've gone down a completely different road from pretty much every other team in Europe. They're developing yes. youth players. They're bringing them through. I know Platini has his issues with, with taking players from various academies around Europe, but he cannot look at the football side of Arsenal and, and see a problem when you look at somebody, for example, like Chelsea, who instead of giving uh, a young player a chance in their squad, will will buy a guy like Minero, uh, who's 33, past his best, and <laughs> blocks the way for any young player to come through at Chelsea. Yeah, it, it's extraordinary, because you would have thought that precisely there's one point on which both Platini and Wenger could find themselves in agreement. It's precisely the fact that football should always be uh, the most important thing and not business. And that business is there as far as a football club is concerned to enable a manager to uh, express his vision and players to express their talent. That's, that's, that's Wenger's philosophy. And it's extraordinary. I mean, I was taking part yesterday night in a, in a debate on French radio precisely about this question. And uh, somebody was defending Platini, uh, saying he's an idealist and all these things. And to which I said, well, if there is a more idealistic manager in world football than Arsene Wenger, please name him, because I, I, I don't see. I can't see who it could be. Uh, the, the both should be in complete agreement. And what was all the more uh, shocking, I would say, is that uh, this debate took, part, took place just after um, the Carling Cup game, <laughs> in which... Wenger was demonstrating his attachment to the values of youth and beautiful game and 
and also uh, having you know five British players on the pitch at the beginning of the game and seven to finish. I think I was thinking, well, honestly, Platini, um, this has got to be what you want to see. Uh, but unfortunately, Wenger is not so much a person or a manager as a symbol of what he hates. And I think there's a genuine, sincere uh, dislike of everything that is represented by the Champions League in Platini. And Wenger, is, is, for him, it's just become an encapsulation, if you will, of what is wrong with the game in England and what, he, what, he, what Platini thinks goes against the, the, the highest ideals of the game and his mission, which is to give back football to footballers. That's what he keeps, he keeps harping on all the time and all the time. So it, to be honest, it makes absolutely no sense. Uh, unless you see it as a political gesture. And once you do that, you start to realize, hold on a minute, Platini has got a political agenda there. Uh, he's got this executive committee coming, um, the delegates from the countries which elected him and will keep him in power have not really seen yet the fruit of, um, of his action. And um, so he's got to put them back in his pocket. All right. And well, I think that's, that's, that's a perfectly good explanation of, of this quite extraordinary explosion. Well, that was part one of the interview with Philippe Auclair from France Football. In a little while, we'll be talking Carling Cup and the result against uh, Sheffield United, the result and the performance. Um, sorry about the echoiness of that. I've just got a, a new computer, you see, so I'm not quite sure how it all works just yet. A little mixing desk and stuff, so I, I do apologize for that. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. But hopefully it's not too much of an irritation for you. Um, just to remind you that the Irish Blog Fantasy Football League is up and running. You can still join if you like. It is oleole.com forward slash fantasy football if you would like to get involved. And the current standings in our league, our Irish Blog uh, Mini League, which is Irish Blog Prem, Irish Blog P-R-E-M, and password is Irish Blog if you still fancy joining. You're more than welcome to do so. You're way behind everybody, though. Uh, first in the table, Attraction 11 on 283, Not Seto's team on 279, Arson's Red and White Army on 262, as are Rock Warriors, and Roswell FC on 260. Uh, they're in fifth position. I don't know where I am. I'm miles down here. I've only got 180 points or 100 and something points and the guy at the top you know 283 uh, but those two guys at the top Attraction 11 and Not Seto's team 8 and 10 respectively in the entire Premier League Fantasy League on OleOle.com so go you two guys and win some of those good prizes uh, that's uh, yeah that's our fantasy football now we'll have 
a bit of this. In traffic around White Hart Lane is completely at a standstill as Tottenham fans take to the streets to celebrate actually winning a game this season. Motorists are advised to take an alternate route. We'll have more traffic in an hour. Thank you, sexy Australian traffic girl. This is Talk Shite Radio, talking shite about sport 24 hours a day. This week, we've seen the beautiful game, but we have, of course, seen the dark side of football, and that is something that has to be addressed. We look at a tackle by Emmanuel Pogatetz of Middlesbrough on Rodrigo Possibon, Manchester United's young strapling, and it was, quite frankly, outrageous. A disgusting assault. You might go so far as to say that Pogatetz leg-raped Rodrigo Possibon. That kind of behaviour is simply not acceptable. Then we had the other dark side of the game. Gail Clichy from Arsenal. Honest to goodness pro Kevin Davis came in, got the ball, and Gail Clichy pretended to be injured. He's fine. Just a bruise, says Arsene Wenger. What was he doing lying on the ground, Wenger? In studio to talk with us about me is Mark Lawrenson. Hello, Mark. Well, it is lovely to be here. Mark, you played the game when it was tough, but fair. When it wasn't fair, it was even tougher. Now, how can somebody like Gail Clichy lie there and pretend to be injured trying to get Kevin Davis sent off, looking all the more despicable that act when you look when something really terrible happens, like Possibon in the Carling Cup? Well, you know, at the moment, if they take the physical aspect of football out... You know, it's going to be just a game for Jessie's. Uh, what exactly do you mean by Jessie's, Mark? Well, it's just a saying, isn't it? You know, at the moment, what I mean is that it's a man's game. But if you stop other men touching each other, well, then it's going to be for, for you know, fudgebackers. Uh, what? Shirtlifters, friends of Dorothy, uphill gardeners. Mark. Those who prefer to travel the brown highway. Uh, Mark. Pufters. Uh, Queers. Mark. Bennies. Mark. Roger Ramsbottoms. That's enough. Chocolate starfish lovers. Mark, this is Talk Shite Radio and we talk shite 24 hours a day. Anything goes on here, but you, my friend, have been absolutely out of order. But why? It's just a saying and, you know, at the moment, that's all it is. I was just trying to say that... If you take the physical aspect of the game out, then... Ladies and gentlemen, loyal listeners of Talk Shite Radio, we may talk shite on this radio station, but we do have some standards. Frankly, any broadcasting organisation that allows a guest to make comments such as those without forcing that person to make an apology should be damn ashamed of themselves. We'll be right back after this. Talk Shite Radio. Talking shit about sport 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day. And we'll have more from Talk Shite Radio on another Arscast in the very near future. No man in the bar this week. He's gone on holidays. He's on a weekend retreat, apparently. Uh, his, his, his doctor has told him to get in touch with the spiritual side of his life as his liver is failing. And uh, that's because all he does is sit around in a bar all day and, and drink. Which, I suppose, is... Uh, an ambition that most of us have. Really? Give up work and what else are you going to do, really? Sit around in a bar and drink and talk to people. Or not talk to them. But mostly you're sitting and drinking. So, uh, yeah, best of luck to him and hopefully he'll he'll get well soon. 
coming up a little bit of a chat about the game coming up this weekend, obviously. Uh, but now for the second part of the interview with Philippe Auclair from France Football. All right, well, let's um, move away from uh, Platini because he's he's kind of irritating to something yes. to something that's that's rather wonderful. And you're an Arsenal fan. Um, the Carling Cup game against Sheffield United. We've seen Arsenal pull out some results in the in the Carling Cup uh, mm. over the years and over the last few years. Uh, some remarkable results, like the one at uh, Liverpool at Anfield, where we won six two. But um, this team that he put out on on Tuesday night was the youngest ever Arsenal team. Uh, you have people like uh, Bentner and Juru and Alex Song as the senior members of a team. <laughs> and you've got 16-year-olds scoring goals. It really is, um, I suppose, like you say, the fruition of all, of all the hard work uh, that he's put in. It's um, without w- wanting to jump the gun because there's still such a long way to go this season. It is marvelous to see young players play the way they did the other night. Well, it's 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 more than that. It was almost magical. Um, I'm, the only thing that um, I'm not too happy with is the fact that you know I was I was very lucky to be you know among the fifty six thousand people who were there. Mm. By the way, I mean what what an excellent decision from the club to uh, make the tickets as cheap as possible. It was a fantastic atmosphere mm. at, at, at the ground. Um, I mean, it's full of kids and full of singing. It was really wonderful to to, to listen to and to be there. But it's such a pity that the game was not broadcast, honestly. But mm-hmm. there you go. Um, I, I I agree with you. Uh, I've, it's the Carling Cup has become one of my favorite competitions, I suppose. Like most people who follow Arsenal on a on 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 a, on a daily basis. Um, I mean, I remember this extraordinary performance. Well, extraordinary. Let's not get overboard there. But this really wonderful performance against Newcastle uh, when Lassen Adyara, rest in peace, uh, had an absolutely fantastic game. Uh, the victory at Everton, and as you were quoting Liverpool, but even then talking to, uh, to other Gunners after the game, we'd never seen anything like it. Never, ever. And uh, it had to do with a certain assurance uh, in, in that squad of, of teenagers, which was simply astonishing. And the fact that suddenly as well, and I think it's a point that hasn't been made enough, that you had some real bosses in, in, in the team. And one example in mind would be Yuan Juru, uh, who's obviously just extended um, his contract at Arsenal, who really looked the part as the boss of the central defence yesterday. Alexander Song had a very fine game, was absolutely superb in the air, and you know, and against people like Beatty, who was supposed to be the next year at one point in his career. Mm. Um, and all through the team, you couldn't find really a weak link. Um, I was very impressed with, with Mark Randall, for example. I, I'd always had my doubts about him because I thought he didn't quite produce when, 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 he, was, when he played in the Carling Cup before that. And even in some reserve games I, I've seen, I thought, well, yes, he's good and so forth, but I can't see really what, what Arsene and, and Liam Brady and, and Steve Bolt see in him. And yesterday I did. It's absolutely terrific holding midfielder with a great eye for a pass and very sober in his uh, distribution. And, you know, you can go through the whole, the whole team like that, and at the end you're left with a collective performance that was simply astounding and also uh, played with such pleasure. I mean, the way that, if you compare, do you remember when, when Nicholas Bentner scored that goal last season and nobody went to congratulate him? Yeah. And, and this time, the, you know, obviously the, um, the way that Vela and him were combining and playing of each other 
and encouraging each other and clapping each other and it was extraordinary it's complete transformation and I have to say that uh, of all the players I've seen this year um, the, the one who to me who has made the greatest stride forwards is certainly Niklas Bentner uh, who is a very slow starter usually it takes, it takes him quite a few games to, to, to get in the groove of things he had uh, an I would say an average preseason. It was not that great at the Emirates Cup, you know. Uh, and then, you know, for the last the last few games, not only has his you know his finishing is is very good. He's got very good aerial presence. But the thing which has really improved in, with him is his distribution. Absolutely, uh, absolutely outstanding distribution mm. uh, with his headers, uh, with his passes, with his positioning. He drops in the hole a bit like Dennis used to do. Um, even though obviously physically is very different from Dennis, but there are some some elements in his in his game which are quite close to to, to Dennis. The capacity to hold the ball and to 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 guess where space is going to be, and and to distribute the ball there, and all of it was 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 remarkable. And then you've got of course the cherry on the cake, which is Jack Wilshere. But I think anybody who's seen him in action for the reserves of the youth team, or even at the Emirates Cup, knows. You know that that boy is frighteningly good. I mean, how far he can go, I, it's almost scary. I don't, I almost don't want to talk about it because I haven't been excited about the young English player as much as I am by him since probably seeing Wayne, seeing, seeing Wayne Rooney when he was playing for Everton, and that really is saying something. It, it's funny, isn't it, that you talk about Jack Wilshire being the icing or the cherry on on top of the cake, and we haven't said a word about Carlos Vela, who scored a hat trick on his f- first competitive start for the club. It's yeah, incredible. I know. And, <laughs> And what a hat trick! Mm. Uh, um, I suppose it's because uh, among people who follow follow Arsenal and have seen the the games in which Carlos Vela has taken part, uh, it's obvious that this boy is um, is really really special. I, I've talked to a friend of mine in Spain, Frederic Camber, who is the um, correspondent for L'Equipe there, and I was asking, well, you know, you've seen him playing for Asasuna, and what was he like there? And he said, well, he said, I'll just give you an example. He played against Real Madrid one game against Real Madrid, which, and, and he terrified, he alone terrified the whole of the Real Madrid defense. I thought, well, okay, that's good enough for me. Yeah. And since then, what he's shown every time he's been on the pitch has been, has been remarkable. Uh, I mean, his composure is exceptional. Uh, his second goal is a thing of absolute beauty. If, if Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo, that is, had scored anything like this, controlling the ball with your shoulder, first touch with your foot just to place it in perfect position and then chipping but it's not just a chip it's got backspin on it and it's actually it's almost like somebody is lifting the ball over the keeper's head but with sufficient speed to to beat him that's absolutely exceptional yeah. uh, you know the world you know people keep talking about world class this and world class that very often without any justification but that finish was world class uh, you can't think of many uh, the, the only player i can think of who could do this sort of thing is Latan Ibrahimovic. That's the, he's the only one I can think of who has got this, uh, this naturalness in, in, in this kind of uh, finish and this kind of skill. Uh, but no, I mean, of course, Carlos Vela, you know, but you can, you can, name, you can name all of them, uh, honestly. And you, you, they, they were absolutely exceptional. And I know people will say it was only Sheffield United and it was not a particularly good Sheffield United side. But they were trying Sheffield. It's not as if you know, they had decided, well, that's it, that's finished. They played 4-5-1 most of the game. Uh, they, they were trying to, to cramp, up, cramp the midfield. They were trying to defend as much as, they, as, as best as they could. And honestly, they just couldn't live with those kids. 
Um, I mean, I don't know if they're going to go the whole way and the rest of it, but we've seen enough in one night to realize that the doubts that so many people had about what was in store for us after you know, the summer transfer season, um, those doubts, I think, can be now relegated somewhere else. And right. that is really, really heartening. Okay, Philippe, we, we better leave it there because we could talk about this forever and ever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you very much for joining us and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Uh, my sincere thanks to Philippe for taking uh, the time to talk to us on the Arscast this week, and we'll have him back soon, I hope. Uh, Platini has since come out, and uh, he said, oh, maybe I was a little bit harsh. My father, who gave uh, Arsene Wenger his first job at, at Nancy, um, he said you shouldn't have been that harsh. But Arsene Wenger's talking, he's taking 13- and 14-year-olds, and, th- and that just gets my goat. Well, the equivalent of that, he said. Essentially, that's what he said. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. But I still don't quite see how that makes Arsene Wenger a businessman. How is giving young players a chance to play top-flight football, how is that being a businessman? It's being clever, isn't it? If the players don't work out, you can always sell them on for a bit more. But that's just... Yeah, anyway. Platini. Fuck off. Uh, Coming up this weekend, Hull City. Which is an interesting game. Um, I'm going to be over for this one with uh, with the Mug Smasher and Mrs. Bloggs. Uh, Hull City, uh, a team that um, has a little place in my heart and the Mug Smasher's heart because we used to live up that area um, when we were very young, much younger. Uh, and the first time that I ever went to a live football game was uh, at Boothbury Park to watch Hull City against someone. I haven't got the faintest clue who it was. And I was maybe about seven or eight and Mug Smasher is three years younger than me so he's four or five and he came along and uh, our father took us to the game and back then maybe attendances weren't so great and I remember the the whole goalkeeper was a Welsh guy I think I'll stand to be corrected on this but his name was Tony Norman and he was a big loud goalkeeper and his defenders when they didn't do what he wanted he would shout at them like most goalkeepers do, it's normal. However, due to the fact there weren't that many people there and it wasn't that loud, you could hear everything. So when the goalkeeper is shouting, Get the fuck up there and you fucking mark him, you stupid fucking cunt, you piece of shit, get over there, you fucking this and fucking... I, I, my father was putting his hands over my ears. And I think that's where I got my love of swearing from. From Hull City goalkeeper Tony Norman, all those years ago. Struck a chord with me that day and has been with me ever since. So there you go. There's my little memories of of whole city. Of course, I hope we smash them. Despite the good start they've had to the season, I, I hope they do well. I hope they do all right, but I hope we kill them, essentially. So that's that. Um, perhaps we might even see another goal from Ebue. Now it's time to be at home with Emmanuel Ebue. Oh, yeah. Welcome to my home. I am Ebue. Ebue like Premier League goal. Top three Ebue Premier League goal. Number one. Uh, number two.
Number three, a boy Premier League goal. When a boy score against Bolton, take pass from what's his name? What's it? What do you call him? Bentner. But best thing about goal, not clinical finish at near post. But a boy offside, and ref don't see. <laughs> you go now. Tune in next week for more At Home with Ebue. Oh, baby. Team news is that uh, Gail Clichy is fit. Hurrah. Take that, Kevin Davies. Uh, Mikael Silvestre, he's also fit. <clears throat> Just trying to... Muster up some enthusiasm about that one. Hang on. Nah. Just can't do it, I'm afraid. Uh, Robin Van Persie's available. Theo's available. Um, we don't know yet about Nasri. I hope Nasri's fit because I'd really like to see him in the flesh, so to speak. Uh, but we'll wait and see uh, what happens. If you're around on Saturday, I think we're going to be in the Tollington uh, so uh, that's where we'll be having some pints before the game and after the game. Um, you never know. We might catch up. It's always a pleasure. Uh, for now, though, I better leave it because this appears to be like a really, really, really long arse cast. So um, without further ado, uh, see some of you at the weekend. Um, Tom will be here, of course, with the blog. And uh, I know that, you know, the last couple of times on a Saturday... It hasn't arrived till till somewhat later. But but I'm hopeful this time that Tom will remember that he has got to do the blog tomorrow. I'll send him an email, carrier pigeon, fax. I'll get a messenger boy to go around, knock on his door. I think it would probably work better if the messenger boy had a big bottle of hooch with you must do blog tomorrow. He'll remember them. But Tom will be here at the weekend, uh, Saturday and Sunday, to uh, blog up your arse. And, uh, and that's about it. So talk to you next week on the blog and, of course, on next week's Arsecast. Until then, take it easy. Goodbye. corpse of the outlaw Jesse James, and I got me a message from Mark Lawrenson. You seem to think anybody called Jesse is some kind of ballet-loving asparagus eater. Well, I got news for you. You make one more remark about people being Jesse's, and I'm gonna bring myself back from the dead and I'm gonna shoot you right in your anus. Although, on second thoughts, 
Maybe it'd be better to do something you won't enjoy. You have been warned. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.